Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for being here. This is the Today's Just Okay podcast. And this is the episode for Tuesday, November the 28th, 2023, recorded in advance because I, like most people, have a job and need to work to get paid. Today's topic is a bit of a hot button issue. It is parental rights. The old standby has made a comeback. And I'm going to be talking about what this is, what the arguments for and against this topic are, and why a lot of it is sort of overblown hyperbole on both sides of the argument and how we can look at this from a somewhat more reasonable perspective. But first, I kind of want to warm you up a little bit before we get into the heavy stuff. So I hope you're having a good morning. It is still the fall and it's supposed to snow tomorrow um, or well today, I guess, now that you're listening to this. I'm going to have to figure out how to deal with this time lapse situation. But tonight it is snowing a little bit and the weather for tomorrow says it's going to be snowing as well. So hopefully that won't be too bad. If you're on the road, drive safely, obviously, if that's the case. And if the weather people are wrong and it doesn't snow, well then, I also hope you're still safe and the commute is okay. But yeah, it's it's supposed to be cold and it is supposed to be snowing and it's kind of dampering my plans on walking and getting a coffee. So we will see how that falls out. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's, uh, it's, always, it's always a bit of a, a question, you know, is it worth going outside and getting cold to get the sweet, sweet elixir of coffee, the overpriced elixir of coffee that we all so very love? Or at least not all of us, but some of us. Some of us like tea. I like tea too. Who knows? Anyway, hope you're doing well. Hope you're feeling good. And the season is still on the upswing. We're getting in towards the holidays. So hopefully the madness of the shopping season and whatnot hasn't gotten you gotten you too overwhelmed. Anyway, um, I saw a funny video. My wife showed me something. And this is kind of a theme. She seems to be the one who finds all the interesting stuff. But I did not know about this. And being a Maritimer growing up, I'm surprised that I'd never heard of it. But there's this thing in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia called Woody the Christmas Tree at the Mall of Horrors. Uh, Actually, it's at the Micmac Mall. But oh my Lord, I saw this video and I cannot, I cannot quite accurately describe or do it justice. But apparently this, this thing started in, in 1983 and... (laughs) Basically, it's a Christmas tree with a giant animated face or animatronic face on it. And it looks like it's at least 20 years older than what it is. Like, it looks like it was invented in the 60s or the 40s. And I don't know, maybe they repurposed a face from way back. But it's all the worst parts of a clown without the makeup. It is horrifying. And yet at the same time... All the people who were at the unveiling where Santa Claus wakes him up and he starts talking. And yes, he does talk and his face moves. Everybody was excited. The kids were excited. The parents were excited. All the people there seemed to be having a good time. So there's obviously some kind of cultural cache or cachet there. Um, But from an outsider's perspective, when I look at that, it's just, oh my God, (laughs) that is wild. And no, thank you. Not for me. But, you know, if I'd been there when I was a kid and had experienced it growing up, then obviously I'd probably feel very different. Because, again, being surrounded by that atmosphere and just having a good time, that makes all the difference. doesn't matter what you're doing. It really does uh, tend to make a huge difference in how you how you look at things. Let's see what else has been going on. Um, 
I can honestly say that the feeling of crushing it in life is amazing. I don't often get to feel that because, you know, I'm mostly just trying to trying to survive and and tread water and do what I need to do to get through. But this last week, I've been getting enough sleep. I haven't been feeling too too rough. And, you know, I'm in a stats course because I want to get into a master of social work program. And I was way behind, or at least a week behind, because I'd been a little remiss in my in my readings and my lectures. And I got all those done on the weekend. And then I got an email from a student group. They've asked me to speak at a university about the sort of creative writing process and that type of thing. So I'm super excited about that. That's going to happen probably in the new year. And I've been having a good time with my wife, just hanging out and, you know, watching some shows and enjoying our time together. It's just been lovely. So in general, if you have those moments, it's a really good idea to try and cherish them, to enjoy them, to remember them, because unfortunately not every day is like that. And it is tough when you're in the ruts of life to remind yourself that you actually are doing better than you think you are most of the time. And that's a hugely important component of just feeling good on a regular basis. So take the time. It really does help. And if you do that reflection, if you do that self-reflection in those moments, you solidify the effect of those of those memories and, and that feeling of, of just positivity, which in today's world is rare. And we should we should take every chance we have to do that. And with that all said, I think it's time that I finally delve into this sort of topic of parental rights and, you know, how it's dominating the conversation around education right now and feeds into a lot of the conversation around societal values and what we're doing as a culture, what we're doing as a group, what quote unquote is right and wrong with the, with the world. And the reality is, you know, there are some legitimate concerns from both sides of the argument. Any good discussion has some element of realness to both sides. And then there's also the ridiculousness, the, the going too far, the what ifs that I don't think any real person should be concerned about, but for whatever reason seem to dominate the conversation. So the way I've sort of structured this episode is I'm going to deal with the concerns from the more conservative side of things and then go into the concerns from the more liberal side of things. And then we're going to talk about how to deal with the, the issue overall. So like I understand some of the concerns, the, the valid concerns from the more conservative viewpoint, which is essentially there's some nostalgia for simpler times you know, people look at the world, they see it changing, they see things that they're not familiar with or comfortable with kind of dominating their spaces and they want to pull back a little bit, right? And that's not always a good thing, but it's not always a bad thing because it's a counterbalance to uncontrolled change. And I mean, if you think about AI, I think we could use some of that worry because it has far-reaching implications for every industry on the planet. And so not wanting to rush ahead too quickly 
is not always, like I said, a bad thing. Now, parents also worry about things like indoctrination, schools imposing a a view on their kids that they're not okay with. And to be clear, I mean, schools absolutely indoctrinate kids. That's the whole purpose they exist. Public education is designed to produce good citizens. And the way you produce good citizens is by teaching them a version of history and a version of behavior and a version of learning that is compatible with the, the broader sense of society, right? I mean, you have to understand the rules of the game to play it. So schools are designed specifically to create that understanding. Teach your kids how to look at things and, and be curious but also how to frame them in a way that isn't going to get them in trouble later on in life so that they're employable, that they're not going to get fired or charged or something like that because of of their attitudes or because of their views. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, just look at the, the national anthem when it plays in the morning. That's indoctrination. It's not a particularly relevant song at the moment, but what does it do? It teaches that sort of cultural national identity. So that is just one of the ways. And the curriculum that is designed and produced by the various educational systems that exist, like those, those are looked at both by government, by experts, by parents and all the rest of it. And, and they're looked at both from a cultural and legal perspective. They're, they're not just looked at from, okay, are we teaching people what they need to know? They're also looked at from the, are we teaching people to break the law? because obviously that, is, that goes against the core values of any sort of government educational system. In addition to that, I think parents probably are, are quite concerned about their kids learning either objectionable material or, or things too fast. I mean, it's the old argument about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? I don't think there has ever been a generation of parents who has been super, super excited in entirety that their kids are going to be learning about a whole bunch of stuff when the parents aren't sure that the kids are ready for it. These days, I mean, that kind of goes into gender identity and sexuality. And I think some parents just don't think that kids under a certain age should be exposed to any of those ideas or that they don't think those ideas should be a part of school because they should be up to the parents to deal with. Same thing with drug use, um, harm reduction, that type of idea, right? They don't want their kids knowing about all the different types of illicit substances out there or how to potentially manage addictions and that type of thing. Antisocial behaviors, you know, what qualifies as antisocial behavior. And then they also, I think, have a legitimate right or a legitimate concern that if one of their children or one of the children in the student's class starts exhibiting some of these behaviors, right, whether they're violent or antisocial or something like that, they want to know about it because they want to make sure that their kid's okay. So I can see some legitimacy in those positions, absolutely. And likewise, I mean, these days, a lot of parents, they're two-income households. People can't afford to have one parent stay at home all the time or hire a nanny or send their kid to private school or something. So if that's the norm, who has the time to deal with all these additional headaches when you're just trying to survive the commute every morning, the pressures of work, the overburden on your brain, the additional responsibilities at home, just trying to maintain things is hard enough. So when you look at all those things taken together, I can see where, where some parents are coming from. Protecting their kids from growing up too fast or exposure to what they see as negative influences in the world or negative aspects to the world. Worrying about whether their kids saying or doing the wrong thing could end up making them pariahs or getting them canceled. 
And then also parents who are worried about this stuff, they're looking for empathy and understanding, right? They don't want to be called bigots for being worried about the, the way the world is changing or how their kids are being influenced by it or affected by it. Now, having said that, there's also a huge number of issues piggybacking on top of those concerns that are just plain either ridiculous or cynical or designed specifically to piss people off and, and get people angry. You know, I call it the Kool-Aid part of the arguments. There's fear-mongering and out-of-context information. So tons of anecdotal stories about kids being forced to adopt a different gender than the one that they are comfortable with or kids being forced to do this or that, you know, inappropriate behavior or whatever. Conspiracy theories about pedophiles and the deep state, you know, indoctrination in terms of vaccinations and drug use and, and rampant sexuality and all this stuff. And then corruption of children, the old, you know, you're, you're making my kid this or that or the other thing. Right. And in addition to that, there's also the component where no one's allowed to question or disagree with you if you have these concerns or else you're the worst person in the world. You know, it always comes back to that. It's the same old tactic of here's where we are and we're worried about it. And then someone who is a little bit, I guess you could say charismatic maybe, or well-connected, they come in and very cynically hijack the argument and turn it into some kind of political football, or they turn it into this massive cultural outrage war type thingy because they have a vested interest in fighting that battle. They don't care about the nuts and bolts, the people on the ground. They care about selling their next book. They care about their next TV appearance. They care about the next vote. They care about those things. They care about how much money they're going to make off of the outrage and off of the anger and how much attention they're going to get if they say the most ridiculous things they can imagine because then everybody gets scared and everybody tunes in. I think that's one of the major problems with any social concern, whether it's progressive or conservative. There's always going to be some element out there that's trying to hijack the conversation and turn it into something else. On the other side, you have some concerns from progressives as well, right? And this is from both parents and educators and, and various other people. And it's just like on the, on the conservative side, right? You have conservative parents and educators, you have progressive parents and educators, you have conservative progressive bystanders who are just trying to figure out how to, how to deal with all this stuff. But from the progressive side of things, I think a lot of parents and educators look at parental rights as a cover for anti-LGBTQ attacks. And I think with some of the hijacking that's going on, that's definitely happening. I think both conservative and progressive parents want kids to be safe and same with the educators. They want kids to be safe and they just have slightly different ideas of what that looks like. Progressives generally argue that being informed is the better path. And I don't think conservatives would argue with that, but I think that they would argue what being informed means. So what information are you providing? And it comes down to kind of the rights of children versus rights of parents. And likewise, Progressives want empathy for others. They want a global community type feeling. They want diversity as a strength. So they look at all of these things as positives. And the way you get that is by broadening everyone's perspective. And they also want to protect their kids from mistreatment and open their eyes to the positives of the world. And that includes a, a plethora of different backgrounds, different religions, different races, different sexualities, different social views and all the rest of it, right? You know, when I mentioned earlier that they think parental rights is coming 
as a cover for the anti-LGBTQ movement, there is some argument to be made that the pronoun concerns right now are sort of a stand-in for race or religion or political beliefs or sexualities and so on. There's always been people arguing that change is bad, and the nature of the change, depending on the era, has been focused on one of those things. And there's always going to be people saying, yes, we need to broaden our scope. And there's always going to be people saying, no, we shouldn't. We need to tighten things down a little bit. And who's right and who's wrong is really, it's really a matter of perspective. What you believe as opposed to, you know, what, what you're supposed to believe, quote unquote, right? So I think that there are definitely valid concerns on the progressive side of this as well. But I also think that there's a little bit of Kool-Aid going on because if there's a concern that parents are allowed to know what's going on in, the, in their kids' lives in terms of their gender identity and that that may put the kids in danger, I'm sorry, but you know what? Those kids are already in danger. If you're a parent and you're going to attack your kid or something like that, or you're going to mistreat your kid because they are a different person than what you think they should be, chances are there are some huge red flags going on there outside of just that. I don't think there's a lot of people out there who are going to fly off the handle because of a kid's gender or sexuality who wouldn't fly off the handle for a whole bunch of other stuff. And so I think the parents who are going to be a concern in that regard are already a concern because they're not good people. But I don't think that that's the majority. And I certainly don't think that that's everyone who thinks that things are moving a little bit too quickly. You know, sometimes there's this sort of fear mongering on the progressive side where kids who are allowed to behave badly will turn into terrible adults. I've heard people say before that it's, it's a kind of a funny saying. The apple doesn't fall far from the asshole tree. So in other words, if your parents are an asshole, you're probably going to turn into one. And yes and no. I mean, that definitely happens sometimes, but it also, there's a lot of change that takes place as kids grow. Kids do exhibit behaviors from their parents a lot, but I also think that that is not who they're going to be at the end of the day because eventually they become their own person. That doesn't mean that all behaviors are okay and that they should be allowed, but it also means that if someone's coming from a background that has prejudice or has those things, it doesn't necessarily mean they are going to share those beliefs when all is said and done. So we have to be careful in terms of how we, how we frame that because otherwise we're just punishing kids for the, the misbehavior of the, of the parents or the adults. Um, there's also, you know, arguments about slippery slopes and this is on both sides, right? Where if we start here, you know, where does it end? So if we change the laws, what are the effects of that? Who's going to want things to change next? You know, what institutions are going to have to be changed? Oh my goodness. You know, oh, the, the rights of the family and what marriage looks like and this, that, and the other thing and all this, or our rights being taken away because we're rolling things back. Again, everybody gets upset whenever there's a potential change because it means things get rebalanced a little bit. And I'm sorry, if you can hear that, unfortunately, it seems like one of my neighbors has decided to do renovations in the middle of the night. And I'm not entirely sure why, other than, you know, maybe they work during the day too, but oh my Lord, they are drilling something right now and it is super annoying. So I'm going to try and clean that out of the audio, but if you do hear it, I apologize. Anyway, and last but not least, of course, and this is going to be a familiar refrain, no one's allowed to question or disagree or else you're the worst. It's funny, isn't it? How both sides of the argument sometimes use the same elements to prevent discussion and to prevent sort of grown-up analysis of any issue, right? Everybody's more concerned about the gotcha moments. And that's really not how you create dialogue and that's not how you heal rifts between people. 
So if we look at it from the perspective that 80 to 90% of people are reasonable, relatively reasonable people who want to live relatively ordinary lives, how do we deal with this issue without getting sucked into the outrage and the hyperbole and the sensationalism and misinformation, right? And again, I don't think it matters whether you're for or against either position here, because I think the same ideas apply to you if you're reasonable, whether you're for or against. So I got a couple of quotes here from a CBC article that quote is from Jen Gilbert, who is a professor at the University of Toronto's Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. The first thing she says is, think of the parental rights movement as a conservative movement to limit the influence of government in people's lives generally, which on the face of it, isn't necessarily a bad thing. We don't want the government looking over our shoulders in every aspect of our lives. I don't think a progressive or a conservative would have any particular, you know, concern with that. And I think a lot of progressives would agree that that is something that they would like. They don't want government overstepping either, because depending on the politics of the day, whether the people running the country are progressive or conservative, that is going to influence what role the government has and what they do in your life. You know, the wind blows both ways. And I think both sides can generally agree that that's not an unreasonable position. Um, She goes on, generally around schooling, the parental rights movement has emerged as a movement to limit discussions of sexuality and gender in schools under the auspices of both protecting children and protecting parental rights to raise children as they see fit. And I think that's kind of where the Kool-Aid has started to take over. I don't think that that this professor is incorrect, but I think what's happened is, is when someone hijacks the discussion and turns it into something bigger, turns it into this social crusade, that's when you get the conflation of issues. And all of a sudden it becomes much more complicated to sort out because there are just too many moving parts, right? It just becomes so muddy and so interconnected in the web of outrage that it's really, really hard to sort through the noise. So as I was saying, limiting government involvement in personal lives is definitely not bad, um, but conflating that with anti-LGBTQ movements and a lot of conspiracy theories is. And so if you are going to have a concern with how schools are operating, it's incumbent on you to kind of distance yourself from that, that stuff unless you are adamant that those things are wrong. And if that is the case, if that's what you think, I think you're going to have a hard time convincing anyone of the reasonableness of your position because the laws have changed and it's extremely difficult to go back in time once these things happen. So, I mean, I'm all for individual freedoms, but part of being for individual freedoms, I think, is not being concerned about what other people are doing as long as they are acting within the law and everyone's a consenting adult. And that means... Different types of families are going to exist, and that's okay. Different types of people and different types of everything, really. And again, it doesn't affect me. I don't care because I'm not involved directly with any of that. And I just think that so many people are trying to live and survive in a difficult space that we should just be happy that we're able to do it to begin with. And if that means someone loves someone who looks a little bit different than what you expect them to, well, so what? You know, it's their life. Let them do their thing and then you can do your thing and then we can all get along. So this is this is something that I was thinking about actually. 
you know, this is kind of a sidetrack, but remember how people were legitimately concerned about the pandemic response at the beginning? And then there was sort of a discussion. I don't think anybody really focused on it too much, but there was a city versus country divide because a lot of the response options were built for cities, but then they were applied to the country as well. And those different types of communities really do have different operating principles behind them. You know, I've lived in the country, I've lived in cities, they're completely different. So the responses in different places should be tailored depending on the on the situation that, that people are in. But at the same time, you know, when you've got a lot of people losing money and the government rules don't always make sense, and the fact that you've got a medical response, which is very, very sort of severe because from a medical perspective, you're trying to protect people's lives and you're trying to not overrun the system and you're trying to get a handle on something that you're not really sure about the severity of, right? So you kind of take worst case scenarios. And then you've got the political response, which is, okay, we want to do what's right, but we also want to make our rich donors happy. So what happens is holes pop up in weird places. You can't drive across the border, but rich people can fly and they can not, they don't have to quarantine or people are supposed to quarantine, but what happens if they don't? You know what I mean? So there were, there were things happening where there was an unequal or an uneven way things were being implemented. And that made some people angry and that concerned some folks. And so what happens? People start to protest. They start to kick up a fuss. And again, I don't think that there's anything particularly wrong with that. But before they sort of are able to really bring home that viewpoint, the discussion gets hijacked by the extremists. And, you know, we often forget the obvious when that happens. Conversations become dominated by the edges of the spectrum. People divide into teams or camps and off we go. It's fight time. So the common sense is lost in the noise. So in this case, what is the common sense component here? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is that parents already have the ability to limit their child's involvement in school activities or classes that they object to. So you have control and the capacity to provide context and clarity if you are not able to completely pull them out of one thing or another. Health classes, you have the right to say, I don't want my kid participating. And all the school's going to do is just basically put them in a separate area so they aren't exposed to those pieces of information. The other thing I would say in regard to this is even if your kid does take those courses, and I do think that they should simply because you don't want your child missing out on what other kids are getting the benefit of. Because kids are going to talk, and if your child is relying on other kids to tell them what's what, as opposed to an adult in the room who is running on a very strict curriculum... What's going to happen is your kid's going to get a slightly strange take on it because the other kids who are telling them what's going on aren't going to have a full understanding of everything either. And as a result, they're going to garble some of that material. So I do think that, I mean, if you, if you absolutely object to your kid being part of this, fine, pull them from the class and then, you know, you don't have to worry about it that much. And if you think that your child doesn't trust you enough to keep you informed of things, ask yourself why have you given them reason to trust you have you given them reason to believe that you are going to be open and honest with them that you're not going to reject them just because of who they are or what they think or where they are in their development because again kids try on different personalities as they develop but there are underlying factors that generally kids do not deviate from because we would have seen that Historically, we would have seen them deviate generation after generation. Kids would have been a lot more experimental in their behaviors than they are 
if it was so easy to alter who they are and and what they do. So you have to keep that in mind. And more to the point, like I was talking about historical context, right? But history does show that the more restrictive the rules are, the less kids will learn and the parents have never been particularly successful about teaching their kids about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I mean, why would they? It's gross. Um, <laughs> my dad, just to give you perspective, my dad gave me an illustrated atlas of the human body and said, have at it. And that was my talk about the birds and the bees. So, you know, I've got another person here, Alex McKay, the executive director at the Sex Information and Education Council of Canada. I think it's called SICAN. And this is from an article from Global News. And he states that when a child misses out on sexual health education, they are put at an increased risk for sexually transmitted infections and unplanned pregnancies, among other things. So restricting your kid's access to information actually has the opposite effect often than you want it to. Because as soon as you make something a taboo, as soon as you make something off limits for a kid, what do they do? They test it out. They want to go figure out why that's so special, why that's so fun, why that's, ooh, you know, why are the only people allowed to talk about this, the adults? Kids are naturally curious that way. You know, in my case, I learned everything from friends at school or health class. And health class was extremely rudimentary when I was coming up. You know, this is ages ago. And I could have used a lot more information about all of it. But again, that's just my perspective, right? Like, what do you think? I don't think it's right for me to sort of claim that my way of thinking about this better or worse than anybody's is just how I view it, right? Take the good, leave the bad. That's what I always say. So when we come back to this, ultimately what's best for the kids? And from my perspective, I think a reasonably optimistic way of looking at this is saying, okay, well, what is the legality, the ethics, and the safety concerns? And not just for some of us, but for as many kids as possible. Because if we remember the public school mandate, which is to serve the broadest possible spectrum of people from a wide variety of backgrounds, and all of whom are trying to basically learn and get along and become decent Canadians, that means learning about people like you and people not like you. As I said earlier, public school has several jobs. It's to teach kids the basics so they can learn and learn to work. They can get a job. They can not get fired and not get charged for bad behavior. And I mean, laws in different countries vary, but here you can't mistreat other people and expect nothing to happen. And I would add this, that if you want to mistreat other people for trying to live, especially when they're trying to live within the confines of the law, you're not really principled. I don't want anyone telling me how to do things. You know, why would I tell anyone else what they're allowed to do? Who am I and who are they, frankly, to judge? And I get it. It's not perfect. There's always going to be someone doing something creepy. So yeah, we have to be vigilant and make sure that we're keeping an eye on things. And that's where this part comes in, right? If you're a parent or a concerned citizen, you can get help with this stuff if you're upset or worried. Don't rely on news or politics. Both of those platforms have an agenda. They have a reason for presenting the information the way they do, and that is to drive your emotional responses into a furor so that they can keep you plugged in and engaged and watching commercials or donating to their causes or whatever. So instead of that, talk to teachers or principals or the school board, right? Nothing shuts people down faster than anger, so don't go in angry. Ask questions with an open mind. Forget the headlines and look for specifics. Get copies of the curriculum and actually read them. Don't rely on someone else telling you what's in there because frankly, they aren't going to tell you the truth. 
And if they do tell you the truth, you're going to want to fact check that and make sure that they're on the up and up so that you can actually trust them. It's called due diligence in the legal world, right? You have to check on your sources. And I mean, ultimately, if you're a parent, your kids are your responsibility, right? You had those children. So you have to take care of their development as best you can and in line with what your values are. But always try to remember that kids are smart. And they've always operated outside of their parents' wishes. I did that. You did that. Our parents did that. Their parents did. So why should kids now be any different? I hate to burst your bubble. They're not going to be. So we can deal with it the realistic way and say, okay, they're going to be who they are. They're going to behave the way they behave, whether I like it or not. So I need to work with that as opposed to fighting it tooth and nail. The other thing that I would say is that when kids ask questions, right, that's your opportunity to help them grow and build trust. And kids will always learn more from their parents than anyone else unless the parents are absent. So if you have kids and you're involved, yes, there may be some delay in your kids telling you things, but they're going to tell you. It just sometimes takes time for them to process and come to terms with things. You got to give them space and you got to give them time to figure it out or at least be comfortable enough to broach the subject. The worst thing I think any parent can do is to reject what a kid is saying to them as, you know, a phase or stupid or something like that. And then what happens? The child starts to think about, well, if they don't believe me, right, and they're my parents, I need to keep my mouth shut. And then all of a sudden things get bottled up and they kind of get messed up. And I don't think anybody wants that for their children. The other thing that I would say here is that learning about something doesn't make it happen. So if you learn about asteroids, that doesn't make one hit us just because you're aware of them being there. So why would kids turn into something they are not simply by learning that it exists? And I get it. There's concern about, you know, being cool and peer pressure and all the rest of it. But I don't see that. Like where in this situation is that going to exist? Because just through my personal experience with friends who are members of the LGBTQ community, it's hard to be part of that community. So why would anyone choose that if it just leads to pain? Why would anyone want that for themselves if it hurts and you're always worried that society is going to reject you? Now, this next component applies to both sides of the argument, and that is that there's always going to be people who disagree with you. And you have to accept that. So yeah, people aren't always going to do the things that you like, and they're not always going to have the positions or the personalities or the views that you find compatible. And that's just part of life. You don't have to spend your time with people that you don't get along with. And if you try to, life is going to be louder and harder than it needs to be, right? If you're spending all of your time fighting with people who aren't going to agree with you one way or the other, frankly, you're wasting both of your time. And I do think that if you're a halfway decent person, if you're halfway reasonable, you have the capacity for empathy, right? And the question becomes, do you really want to cause pain for someone else? Do you want to make things better for everyone or just better for you personally. Because being a jerk to other people when they're not hurting anyone doesn't make you right. It makes you an asshole. All right, and with that, the difficult part of this podcast is over, so thank goodness um, all the heavy-duty stuff has been dealt with, and now we can sort of wash our hands of it. Part of the reason I think that thinking about these things in this way and then you know, having a discussion about it or talking about it helps is that it's actually cathartic, right? I don't like to let things live rent-free in my head for too long. And so part of the process of this podcast actually in creating the, the content and then putting it out there is once I've thought about it, once I've talked about it, once I've organized my thoughts, I no longer have to worry about this subject anymore. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it so quickly. 
Now, I'm curious what your thoughts on this are. I mean, this issue is a lot more complicated than I can kind of you know, come to terms with in, in a short amount of time. So if you do have different thoughts, if you have ideas or whatever, leave a comment, let me know. Um, I'm going to have an email set up for questions and feedback and that type of thing. At some point, I'm not there yet. So if you don't see that in the description and it's not listed on any of the, the, the websites or whatever, where this is, where this podcast is available, I do apologize, but at some point I'm going to have that set up. And then once that's there, let me know, because again, I am curious what you think about this issue and other issues and, and what I've missed or, or what, what your perspective is, you know, based on your own understanding of it and where you are. Again, I would ask that you look at it from the perspective of being relatively reasonable and mature. If you make a good point, I'll obviously talk about it on the podcast because more than one opinion on these things is always better. Moving on then to tip of the day. It's not really a tip, more of an observation, I guess, but last week, when I was working, my VPN died. And I got to say, I don't know if there's anything more annoying these days than having your computer go down. It wasn't the internet. It wasn't anything else. It was literally just the interface between my computer and the servers that my organization uses. And the inability to connect and knowing that the amount of work that I had to do was just piling up was driving me to distraction. Because again, I'm not one of these people who during work hours is like, oh, yay, you know, I don't have to do anything so I can just sit back and relax. It's, I know that there's a certain amount of work that I have to get done every day. And if I don't get it done now, I got to get it done later. And so I'd rather do it faster earlier and be done quicker than wait on it and then have to work late to kind of cover up for the, uh, for the, for the lapses. So with that in mind, what I'm wondering is, is what are some of the annoying things you've had to deal with in your professional life <laughs> where you walk in, you see what's happening and you literally just want to walk right back out. And it's like, nope, turn around, leave. You obviously can't always do that, but it's a, it's a nice thought sometimes, right? So I'm curious what, uh, what your thoughts are on that aspect of things. And, um, what's interesting to me as well. So I was sitting down with my wife the other night and we were watching a new season of Clone High. So I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Clone High was an interesting cartoon from like almost 20 years ago or just about 20 years ago now, uh, about a group of cloned historical figures who were going through high school. And it was funny and it was interesting at the time. It was sort of an interesting take on culture back then. They never did a sequel uh, until this year, actually. So 20 years later, I guess, 2023 or whatever it is, or just about 20 years later, they do a sequel. And I got to say, it's not, it's not hitting perfectly with me. It's kind of, it's okay, but it's not great. It's kind of meh, you know? And I think they were sort of banking on nostalgia and that it was written a long, long time ago. And they just kind of updated the script for 2023. They kind of cut and paste jokes that would be topical in and out. And based on the availability of the characters and the voice actors, they changed some things, which, you know, I'm not against change or the way they're doing things, but they've, they've kind of overdone some of the themes, right? I guess you could say that's a risk with any kind of media that you produce, right? If you don't catch the flash in the pan at just the right moment, what was interesting six months ago is not necessarily interesting today. So, and the world changes really quickly, right? So it's hard to always anticipate how things are going to go, but again, it's interesting, but at the same time, it's not groundbreaking like the original was. And I guess, you know, sequels aren't often that way, but I think too much time has passed that it just, 
it's fallen a little flat. I think this was like a fun distraction for the people who did the original as opposed to the audience. So someone put up a lot of money, but it's more for the benefit of the actors involved than perhaps the people who, who are fans of the, of the original show. But who knows? I'm probably very wrong about that. (laughs) You never know, right? Anyway, So I think with having said that, what I'm going to do is change gears and I'll be back in a second with chapter one of my book, Lancet. Again, available everywhere books are sold, but best prices on Amazon simply because that platform treats authors a little bit better than most other distribution networks. Going to talk about that in a later episode at some point, but in any event, um, I will be back in a moment. Okay, I'm back. Chapter one, Priyam Shah. I'm an idiot. The thought hits me about the same time as the pill I snuck from Dad's stash. Just a little something to help me sleep. But now I'm tired and I'm high and unhappy. And living in the ass end of nowhere. Not a great night so far. A gale is beating against my window. Nasty storm blowing outside. In the morning, Dad will be all smiles, talking about how it's good for business. I might call bullshit, even though I know he's right, just to argue, vent a little frustration, but he doesn't deserve that. We get busy whenever the weather turns sour, and surviving in this frigid wasteland means Shaw and Son heavy machinery can't lose work because I'm depressed and pissed off. Dad's the Shaw. I'm the Son. Might be better if people called me that, since Priam is crap as far as first names go. I need to piss. I wince when my feet hit the cold and hate my life a little more. We don't have heated floors in our little prefabricated home. Hut. Whatever. Out in the hall, my breath makes puff clouds as I hop to the bathroom. By morning, the pair of snow crawlers outside will be buried under a meter's worth of snow and I won't be able to see the buildings on the other side of the road. A supercell is parked on top of us, dumping a couple megatons of snow per hour, with winds blowing a hundred plus. But that means a couple weeks worth of good work digging people out and fixing broken stuff. Double rates and overtime galore. Welcome to Camp 181. Our little bundle of buildings and people is parked on a ridge. The only stable ground inside 500 kilometers. When the sky is clear, we get a decent view of the ice fields, but even then I'm not thrilled about having glaciers and wind chill in every direction. Back in bed, my fab squawks, and I swipe my hand across the screen. The colors and icons smear together as the drugs hit my serotonin receptors, and I have to tap a couple of times to get the weather report. My thin rectangle of glass and plastic is basically a piece of old junk, but as a data interface, it suits me better than jewelry or finger paint and an ocular overlay. Watching people talk to themselves and waving their arms and waggling their fingers for no apparent reason is unnerving. All because genetic engineering, artificial intelligence, and advanced cybernetics are off the market. Jojianda, Nekrosho, and so on. There's a lot of history there, a near few extinctions, not to mention the usual moral, ethical, and religious objections. Mostly it's the near extinctions. The risk of triggering yet another mass die-off is justification enough to bottleneck ourselves relegating our bodies and minds to the limits of mostly natural evolution. Especially since every time we play gods and goddesses, it doesn't end well. There are medical exemptions for the really bad stuff. And if you're rich, you can get just about anything. But for the rank and file, the options are generally cosmetic. Personally, I prefer my little rectangle if only because my eyes and ears can't be hacked. I'm also cheap. An 80-year-old tech tends to be less expensive than dirt. I remember turning my lights off but I'm starting to see vivid blues and reds swirling together in the air above my head. I'm not supposed to be hallucinating. Must have grabbed the wrong drug. Fuck. I'm wobbly when I get back on my feet. 
There's a first aid kit in the kitchen that should have a flush in it, but it'll be buried under the junk. My dad and I are borderline hoarders, and not in a good way. Old machine parts sit in piles along every available wall. Scrap we should strip and recycle. Only there never seems to be time. <sighs> dad and his cannabinoids and alcohol and psychotropics. My skin's getting itchy as the ant swarm wakes up and starts crawling. Right to my face. Always my face. I rub my scratchy beard. Shaving regularly has lost all meaning in the last 12 months. Because that's when my job on Agincourt evaporated. Gone in a wash of adrenaline, sweaty sex, and an angry boss. The most important commercial and cultural hub humanity's got. And I got kicked off because I got ripped off my ass on a Tuesday and ended up in bed with the wrong person. Now I'm here. On snow. A blandly named planet that looks like a cracked egg from orbit. Rummaging through a pile of... something and desperately hoping I'll find an injector to bind off whatever psychoactive I've just ingested. The only place on this glacial ball where temperatures rise above zero is in that jagged, angry ocean around the middle, and it kicks up the worst kind of weather, which is why there's a nasty storm blowing in from the south. Always from the south. I pull out the kit and pop the lid. The flush is expired, but I don't care. Should work. Has to be better than nothing. I find a vein and stick it in, feel a warm burn spreading up my arm. I take a few deep breaths and feel the ants recede. My eyes start working again, no longer swimming in strangeness, and the school of fish darting in around my head, nipping at my ears with their human teeth, disappear into nothingness. I'm covered in sweat, but too done in to shower. I'm too scared to try a different pill tonight, so it's back to bed for me, where I can nurse my fading panic attack until the nightmares take over. And when they come, it's about pilfering food. I'm a special kind of asshole when I dream. There are an appalling number of little fuck-ups that can kill you on this planet, but starvation shouldn't be one of them. But there I am, rummaging through the camp's emergency rations and taking what I like. There's no permanent population here, just a few surveyor camps and contractors trying to make a living off them. Not a lot of fat on that bone. I'm still tired in the morning, but I haul my ass up and get dressed anyway. My polar gear is a haphazard collection of green and purple, all second-hand, with more than a few patches and restitched seams. The repairs mess with the heating coils, but I'm basically frostbite-proof. Socks, thermals, insulated overalls, boots, and a bomber hat with a polar visor come first. Goggles to keep my eyebrows from freezing. Parka and oil-stained gloves, and finally my emergency beacon. A checklist to keep me alive. I bring a breathing mask, too. I like warm, humidified air, even if the seal freezes to my beard, but only wear it if I have to go outside. Work awaits. Our prefab is welded to the back of the garage to conserve heat and my nose itches every time I open the door. The air is thick with metal and grease and solvents. Snow is blowing in at the front, and Dad's waving a couple of light wands, guiding a massive toe inside. The machine's reverse warning is a piercing squawk that echoes off the walls. Someone's snowcrawler quit on them. Priam! Everything is too loud today. I take over while Dad heads for the office, where a small crowd is already waiting. Likely he'll be auctioning our time to the highest bidders. Our garage has four bays with work pits. Two are already occupied and the new arrival is big, so I have to be careful. If we don't guide it in just so, it'll tear a hole in the roof. I tip the driver. Dad won't like it. He likes to complain about how great everything used to be, but his nostalgia never got us a full garage. The tow pulls out and I shutter the doors. Snow's still coming down hard. Our spotlights usually illuminate the buildings across the way, but right now they're being choked out by a blurry wall of white. The heater kicks in as soon as the doors close, turning snow and ice into meltwater in a billowing cloud of steam. There's only one visitor left when I join my father in the office. Hi, Gracie. Gracie Aulak. 
the local boss, mayor, and research director. I've worked for her a few times, and not always on mechanical problems. I put some software together for her over in the survey building, an emulation bridge that helps an old system talk to a newer one, automagically. Felt good dipping into my old job. If she wasn't a friend of the family, I'd be worried that she came in person. She doesn't like the cold. But her jumpsuit looks light and comfortable. All the researchers wear them. Word is they're the latest and greatest in Arctic survival. Thermal barrier, microfilaments for heat, and a discrete power supply. Things probably cost a small fortune. But Unity doesn't skimp on their own. A swollen treasury is one of the benefits of governing the breadth and width of humanity. She smiles at me and I manage to nod in response. She's an attractive woman, but that's not what makes me nervous. First time I met her, I figured she was in her early 30s. If I'd been paying attention, I'd have noticed that's several decades younger than anyone else she works with, which should have been my first clue. Gracie was kind enough to let me down easy. She's been through treatment recently, and a real age doesn't bear repeating. So while she did appreciate the effort, I'm 60 years too late to the party. Gracie has a job for us. Dad's practically beaming. Yeah? My voice is muted, so I pull off my mask and try again. SensorNet is dropping out, sending a lot of corrupt data. I need it fixed, otherwise it could compromise our ice records. Dad's got his elbows on the desk, making a steeple with his hands. Like he expects me to put up a fight. Her best guess is a couple of posts got damaged. Could be the weather. Could be something else. No one leaves uninsulated tech outside in this frozen hellhole. The sensor net stretches over thousands of square kilometers. And given how many posts are out there, gathering readings and piping them back to base, and how far away some of them are, even a small repair is going to take serious cash. How far out are we talking? 400 kilometers, Gracie answers. The outer edge. Shit. There are no ice roads out there. But topography's stable the whole way. The ice hasn't moved much this year. So who's riding shotgun? That's my next question. You'll be solo, Dan answers me. It's suddenly uncomfortably hot in here. Dad. Son. His tone is a warning. Not a good idea to get into it here and now. Guess that means I'm going cowboy. Better grab a stem. And that's the end of chapter one and the podcast for this week. Thanks for being here and I will catch you next time. All the best, everybody. Bye now.